1: We're back with another edition of the Bill Press Pod, and welcome. Welcome to a conversation that I know you're going to love as much as I did. Well, since Donald Trump took it over, lock, stock, and barrel, most of us have given up on the Republican Party. They don't stand for anything, they don't believe in anything, they don't do anything except kiss Donald Trump's ass. But there are still a small but influential number of Republicans out there brave enough to stand up to Donald Trump. We've talked to a few of them, as you know, on this podcast, Michael Steele, Bill Kristol, Barbara Comstock, Christy Todd Whitman, and Charlie Sykes. Today, we meet another one, perhaps the most outspoken and visible of all of them. She's Sarah Longwell, a Republican political strategist, one of the founders, now the publisher of The Bulwark, And she's made it her mission in 2020 and now 2022 to convince moderate Republicans not to vote for Donald Trump, nor for Trump Republicans. We caught up with Sarah Longwell just a couple of days after the RNC voted to censure anti-Trump Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Sarah Longwell, good to connect with you. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So, uh, Sarah, as a political strategist, a Republican political strategist, I, I must ask, uh, is what you saw on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol uh, possibly defined as legitimate political discourse?
0: I think not. I think not. I um, I tweeted uh, something to the effect of, hey, you know, I had a disagreement with over politics with my friend the other night, and so I bear sprayed him and beat him, bludgeoned him with a flagpole. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I was surprised when he objected because we were just engaging in legitimate political discourse. Um, no. And I think that actually, um, you know, I, I'm, I have this, I have this desire to joke about it, but I'm, but it's actually not funny at all because what's happening is the normalization of political violence as legitimate political protest uh, and or speech, which of course there is, uh, I am a, Rock ribbed free speech, uh, defender. Um, but you know the limitations really are when you start tasing cops with their own tasers and bludgeoning people with flagpoles. Um, you know that's not the same thing. And and to to act like it is is dangerous.
1: And do you buy Ronald McDaniel's uh, argument that oh, we weren't talking about those people who were attacking the cops, right? We were just talking about the people who were down Pennsylvania Avenue and.
0: I don't think that there is an argument Ronna McDaniel has made in the last five years that I've bought, uh, but I <laughs> continue to not buy that one for sure. Um, and 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 no, I mean, but this is but this is what they've the Republicans have really internalized certain ticks of Donald Trump's. And one is the, the way in which you construct your own reality, uh, you know, when the reality that exists doesn't suit you, which is that, you know, hundreds of people broke into the Capitol after Trump told them, uh, you know, that they had to fight to save the country. They broke into people's offices and made all of our uh, congressional leaders hide in fear for their lives. Uh, They tried to sort of recast the whole thing as like, but no, we're really just talking about all the people who stood out on the lawn and Shannon yeah. hang Mike Pence, but didn't yeah. actually do anything. Um, which of course is nonsense. It's they that they, they're, you know, everybody knows that what happened January 6th reflects very poorly on Donald Trump. It reflects poorly on the Republican Party, it reflects poorly on Fox News and everybody else. Uh, and so they don't like being reminded about it. Yeah. Which is exactly why they are censoring. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger because they're mad anytime somebody brings up that inconvenient reality for them.
1: Well, it's interesting. Your partner at the Bulwark, Charlie Sykes, this morning in the Bulwark, uh, says that uh, you know you might ask why would the RNC do this, right? Uh, and Charlie's take is that they're really afraid of Liz, Liz Cheney because this committee is really moving full speed ahead. Will soon be holding public hearings, and Liz Cheney is going to be, you know. More in prime time than she already is,
0: yeah, you know, I think that Kevin McCarthy thought when he said, well, you know i i i'm I'm not participating in this. I'm pulling back these names you know when when the when Nancy Pelosi rejected some of the names, and so they opted out entirely, they thought they were going to be able to cast January sixth as a political witch hunt. um, but the fact that Liz cheney has really led January 6th. And and because Adam Kinzinger has been so visible uh, and and because they've been sort of so diligent in the way that they're doing this and they're kind of out front, it doesn't look like a political witch hunt. It looks like two principled Republicans trying to figure out what really happened and releasing really damning information as it comes. And I think Charlie is right. I mean, the way that you saw, even just the Sunday shows this week, the way that you saw Republicans out there um you know, hedging on it, not wanting to talk about it. Like the, everything they're doing indicates that they look really freaked out by what might come out of Jan- of the January 6th hearings. And I think for somebody like me who really tempers my expectations of anything ever happening that, you know, breaks the fever or moves the needle, I do think that there is, even if it's even if it doesn't break the fever, I think there the value of Liz Cheney in prime time embarrassing these people with uh, their cowardice, uh, the extent to which they, you know, were trying to get Donald Trump to do something. And of course, he didn't. Um, I, I, I think it is absolutely meaningful. Whether or not it changes the course of history, I don't know. But I do think it is meaningful.
1: Well, one other indication of um, a possible little <laughs> rupture, of course, last week, was former Vice President Mike Pence, in Florida in front of the Federalist Society saying Donald Trump was wrong, right? Um uh, did Pence go far enough? Were you surprised? Um
0: yeah, I mean it's sort of it's it's it cuts both ways for me. I am also I'm like never surprised anymore when Republicans like behave in the worst possible way, but I'm like I am. I am. I am. I am always shocked, but never surprised. Uh, mm-hmm. And and it cuts the other way too with Pence, where like I am. I am. I am uh, shocked that he did it because he's had numerous opportunities to do this in the past. He hasn't right, taken them. Right. But I guess then there's this other part of me that's like, why? Sh- why would he say anything else? Like, not only is this the truth, not only was he <laughs> yeah. the target of the violence, uh, but. <laughs> You know, Donald Trump has been attacking him relentlessly. And so like he went to a nice safe place where he knew people would agree with his interpretation of the Constitution, which is, of course, the correct one in front of a bunch of legal scholars and lawyers at the Federalist Society. Uh, And he leaned in to the fact that Trump is, of course, wrong and that he was. And look, I think uh, some of this is just a political calculation for Mike Pence. I, I, I ask focus groups all the time what they think of Mike Pence and they think he's a traitor and they hate him. And and the idea that Pence is going to run for president, if like a prerequisite for that is that he convinces people that he did not have the power to do the thing that everybody wanted him to do. It is the only way that he tries to coax the Trump constituency back to mm-hmm. him is mm-hmm. for him to make the case that he did not have that power. And so I see it as self-serving uh, in part, but of course I welcome it. I'm happy. Like the truth is a great thing and I love it when people tell it uh, and you get so so little of it.
1: But uh, do you see Mike Pence as the as the – person who could possibly bring the Republican Party back to uh Republican Party we once knew? Even I if don't. It, no, no, no.
0: Yeah. no. Um, and, and part of it is that um, he, he actually has, he's in the, the sour spot, right? He's got the worst of both worlds where the Trump folks don't trust him uh, because they think he didn't go far enough in defending Trump. But of course, the anti-Trump folks or the move on from Trump folks don't really trust him either. Uh, because he stood dutifully beside Donald Trump in any manner of horrible situations. Um, and he continues to defend, um, you know, a number of things, uh, that, that Trump did. Like, I mean, there are so many red lines that Trump crossed, you know, and he stands on the stage with Vladimir Putin and sides against America's intelligence community like he did in Helsinki, uh, in, I believe, 2018, you know, if Mike Pence can stomach that, he can stomach, you know, he can stomach an awful lot. Um so so I just I don't think that there's much of a world uh except that sort of old school establishment kind of scholar level mm-hmm. um in the conservative movement that really still has uh, a lot of patience for Mike Pence.
1: Yeah. And by the way, not to not to mention the Hollywood Access tape, right, which everybody thought <laughs> would cause <laughs> Mike Pence uh, during the uh, campaign, when he was still the nominee for the party, right?
0: Yeah, tough, tough yeah. to take his moralizing seriously at this point.
1: <laughs> right. So, uh, where does that leave the Republican Party today, as you see it? Is there still a Republican Party, and can is it possible to change the party from within, as some people, I guess, including yourself, are trying to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a good question, and, and I gotta be honest, I started this from a place of wanting to change the Republican Party from within. You know, I come from a background. I did a lot of work on marriage equality in my younger years. um, And I really watched the Republican Party change and become much more embracing on some of these social issues. And I thought the party was really going to go in a different direction than it did. I had a whole theory of change uh, that I wanted to be a part of. And it involved people like Will Hurd uh, and Jeff Flake and Elise Stefanik, uh, and Adam Kinzinger. And like, it's just funny, all the people who were kind of my heroes, they either broke bad by breaking towards Trump, like Elise Stefanik did, or they're being run out of the party, like the people I saw as, as the future. Um, but anyway, I, I just, I, I became, you know, very committed to this theory of, Hey, look, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so you got to show up and you got to do the work from inside. Um, and, and that's how I approached Trump in the early days of, of, of my kind of stepping in saying, I'm going to fight this. Um, But the party has changed. Like there is not, there is no real changing it from the inside anymore because the party is, is really different even than it was four years ago, like there's a symbiotic relationship. I always call it the Republican Triangle of Doom, uh, and it's the the symbiotic and toxic relationship between Republican voters, elected officials, and the right wing infotainment media. And the thing is, they're they're all reinforcing, pushing the party to a totally different place. Um, and when when I started in in twenty eighteen ish, there was still a pretty big chunk of the Republican Party that. It wasn't super fond of Trump, <laughs> um, and I really thought maybe we could even get a primary challenge off the ground. You know, we we're talking to people like Governor Hogan. It was public at the time that he was kind of noodling on a on a primary challenge, um, but the party changed. I mean, it just now, the, you know, seventy percent of Republicans believe that the election was stolen. The majority don't think January sixth was a big deal. Uh, there's an anger, a resentment. And and it's not just that the party changed. Donald Trump brought a lot of new people into the party that, that were not engaged voters or people who were engaged in politics, who are very engaged on behalf of Donald Trump. And so what used to be kind of a recessive gene, like the crazy gene within the Republican Party, the super populist gene, uh, is now the dominant gene. And one that, you know, all of these politicians who are trying to sort of run some fusion strategy with with trump voters like they're just going to get eaten alive like you know there's no there's no world for marco rubio really anymore uh or even like they can they can hold their senate office sure but like they're never going to be president um uh this is a party that's eating its own right now so anyway i just i have given up on the idea that that you can change it because especially you're not going to change it as long as they're winning elections. Now, you could look back at 2020 and say, man, Trump is like a, what a loser Trump was. He got killed in 18, he got he got beaten in 20, and then he lost those Senate seats. Why isn't that guy a loser? Well, the reason is, is because A, he, he hasn't admitted it and he's convinced his entire, like a good chunk of his party that he didn't actually lose that election. But also it looks like he's coming back, right? It looks like there's a future in which Trump is the nominee again in 2024 and we continue this nightmare scenario Um, and, and I, there's nothing, there's no part of me. So like, what can I do? It's, I think the only incentive for the party to change is to lose elections. Um, there have been people who've argued on sort of the never Trump, right? They have this, they're like, well, you got to burn it all down, burn it all down. And I'm like, okay, well, that's an emotion. That's not a strategy. Uh, like you, you need a real strategy for how to defeat this version of the Republican party. And, uh, you know, as bad as Republicans are, like Democrats are losing to them right now. (laughs) They are they're not sort of prepared for the existential threat that this party poses. And so the only way you can change this Republican Party to me now is not not from the inside. It's by defeating them at the ballot box over and over again until it's forced to change in order to put together a winning political coalition.
1: So the only way for Republicans to come back is for Democrats to win.
0: That is my that is my theory of the case at the moment, yes.
1: It's astounding. But I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's astounding that you would come to that conclusion. To, to their conclusion well what uh, other
0: conclusion could i come i mean you yeah, know because here's no, the thing it, well for it, the
1: for the right kind of Republicans to win would be the only other option right but yeah as but you they're, point they're out not, they're not going, they're going
0: to, to they're right? not going to and this is this is look it was a long hard slog for me to come to this uh because i I really did believe in changing things from the inside but i I do these focus groups started doing them mm-hmm. back in in 20 um early 2018 and it was i started doing them because I was like man what is? I've been spending too much time in the think tank world because I have n- what I do not recognize a party that would nominate Donald Trump and a country that would elect him. And so I started doing the focus groups to try to get a handle on what was going on. And like I said, I, I watched voters really change. Donald Trump changed them. The media environment changed. People got desensitized. They began to accept more and more. They got angrier and angrier. They saw the. They really bought the argument that the left, um, you know, was was actually the more dangerous threat. Um, and I just saw these primaries getting more and more extreme and people electing them. And like, that's just a different environment. You're not going to, you can't just, you can't just primary people and win with moderate Republicans. You can in a few places, but like, look what's happening. Anybody who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Like Murkowski might be one of the only ones that survives Mm -hmm. uh, because the party is running them out. And so that is a party that is on a purge mission. They don't want to elect moderate Republicans uh, or non-MAGA Republicans. So, you know, you've got to start thinking about like, okay, well, can you organize the center left in a way that's productive, that builds political power and that pushes back on what has now become a very dangerous version of this party?
1: You mentioned the focus groups. That's something I want to ask you about because uh, you know those of us inside the Beltway uh, who are always writing about co- Congress and the and the White House, what's happening there, lose track of really um, the rest of America, right? Uh, and uh, but you haven't. You you hold these focus groups. You find out what people are really thinking. Um, I want to talk to you more about that. We're going to take a quick break, Sarah, if you hold just a second, right? And then we'll be back and pick up right there our guest, Sarah. Sarah Longwell, who is head of longwellpartners.com, as well as the founder of the great political newsletter, The Bulwark. For today's podcast, we want to tell you about an organization that I really love and support. It's called Run for Something. And their mission is a very, very important one of recruiting and supporting young progressive candidates, especially women, to run for down-ballot races, those important down-ballot races that Republicans always focus on and Democrats forget about, like city council and school boards and election commissioners, more important than ever this year. Run for Something. Very, very much worthy of your support. They were founded only in 2017, and the last five years they have made a huge impact. And this year, so far, this year alone, 10,000 people, young people have signed up with Run for Something to run for office this year in 2022. So check out their website and uh, give them your support any way you can. It's runforsomething.net, runforsomething.net.
0: georgetown dot edu slash podcast
1: and we're back on the bill press pod uh, today's guest Sarah Longwell from the bulwark and bulwark rather and longwellpartners dot uh, Sarah, we were talking about the focus groups that you hold. What are you seeing and hearing from people across the country today uh, uh, well particularly uh, based on what we talked about. Is the Trump show getting old or people getting a little tired of the Trump show or are they still there?
0: You know, uh, well, you won't be shocked to find out that people are different and they have different things that they, that they want. I would say there is a very serious chunk of the Republican electorate that just wants to see Trump run again. It's probably about half where they, they say, I want, I want just Donald Trump needs to run again. We need a revenge tour, uh, you know, he, he got robbed last time. And then there's sort of the next tier over, which is the, Hey, I like Trump, but you know, I can't deal with just the circus of it. And I, I I think that, you know, and I hate listening to the media attack him. And I just, I think he should be an elder statesman for the party. And we really need to move on to somebody like Ron DeSantis or Christy Noem. Um, and I consider that to be not particularly reassuring segment. Um, but they do kind of have a a move on. And then there's then there's people that I would categorize. And a lot of these these voters are swing voters who actually voted for Biden in 2020, where they have kind of a Reagan hangover where they think that Trump was the problem and that Paul Ryan or John Kasich is coming back to save the party. Uh, and they're just, they're not super engaged and they haven't quite caught the beat yet that the whole party is extremely Trumpified because they hate Trump and they hate January 6th and they're vaxxed and they don't like the misinformation, but they're still kind of traditional, you know, small business owners, economic conservatives, socially pretty moderate. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that group, you know, they're the ones who voted for Biden in 20, but then down ticket voted for Republicans and they made, they made the critical difference, Uh, Mm -hmm. In 2020, Mm -hmm. and it's who we focus on. It's through all my projects, Republican Accountability Project, Republican Voters Against Trump. We focus on that that key sort of swing voter uh, demographic. But they're the people who, you know, going into 24, 22 even. Might very well vote for Republicans because they're really sick of what they see as hypocrisy among Democrats around mask mandates and COVID. um, That you know they they are really concerned about education and what's being taught in schools. Um, I think there's going to be a real constituency of COVID parents in 2022 that are kind of this swing voter block. You saw a lot of these people in Virginia who are just cannot take the schools being shut down anymore or like the disruption um, to their kids' lives. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's always weird. There's this, the Republican party kind of runs a a parallel strategy now where they, they run on pure MAGA adrenaline, stop the steal to kind of turn out the base. Um, and it is rocket fuel for the base. Uh, but then they kind of have this, this more, uh, moderate, you know, education, crime, inflation, uh, economy kind of pitch for these suburban swing voters.
1: Who's their leader? They don't have one, do they? I mean, if they're counting on John Kasich and and or Paul Ryan, they don't have a leader, right?
0: No, they don't. But they um, they do have. I mean, I I would put it as kind of like the Wall Street Journal, uh, Brett Bear. Like, there's a there's kind of a sliver, uh, where they're like, you know, Trump is bad, um, but man, the left is really crazy, uh, and. And so they are gettable for Democrats, but they they especially especially if if Trump looms large over the 2022 elections or especially in certain states, you know, in states like um, Georgia, where Herschel Walker, who's an absolute crazy person. Uh, is running uh, in, in Georgia for the Senate. Uh, he's got Mitch McConnell's endorsement. Josh Mandel, absolute lunatic. Uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona running for governor. Just, these are crazy. They're, they're just, they're, they're anti-vaxxers. They are believed, tell you the election was stolen. They tell you they wouldn't certify the election. They say things like there's no separation between church and state while telling you that they're the big defender of the constitution. Like it's all, it's just all craziness. Um, and so the question is, is in that environment, Will those swing voters, uh, you know, just go back to Democrats for some of the bigger races? Or are they frustrated enough with some of the, you know, big external political environments, COVID, the economy, uh, supply chain inflation, that they decide to vote for Republicans? Like, that's the big question around 2022.
1: Right. And with your Republican accountability project, focusing on those swing voters, what is your goal? What is your mission? To get them to vote for the Democrat in the general, or to get them to vote for a responsible Republican, if you will, sane Republican in the primary.
0: Yeah, so it's both, actually. I mean, we kind of were one of the few groups to work both levers. Um, And so, you know, we will focus on how we defend a bunch of the pro-democracy Republicans. So Lisa Murkowski and Liz Cheney, um, you know, there's a few, Jamie Herrera-Butler. You know, there's, there's people out there who did the right thing uh in in when it came to impeaching Donald Trump that Donald Trump is after actively, you know, Brad Raffensberger. And so in those primaries, you really need to go to bat for them because they're getting every MAGA thing thrown at them. Um, and it's gonna be a really tough environment for for a lot of them. A lot of them are gonna lose if they haven't dropped out already. You know, you're already seeing a bunch of them retire. Uh but I would say then the majority, look, I wish I could spend uh, all of our budget defending pro-democracy Republicans, but that would assume that there were many to defend. There aren't that many. And so we're actually spending a lot more, uh, focused on defeating these anti-democracy Republicans with Democrats. And so that's going to be like, you know, Arizona governor's race, Arizona's secretary of states has become a big deal. Um, because you have a bunch of people who want to control the election apparatus, who will happily tell you that the election of 2020 was stolen and fraudulent. And like that's – so that's a scary situation.
1: And for these people, I would imagine that November 3rd uh, is not their number one concern, right? I mean Donald Trump's number one concern, November 3rd, 2020, the election was stolen from him. They're more interested in COVID, the economy, schools.
0: Well, not – so yes. So absolutely for these swing voters, but not just the swing voters. This, this is something that really – you know, I do a lot of focus groups with Trump voting Republicans, and I feel like I understand them pretty well. They say a lot of the same things. They're very sort of uh, homogenous. You know, one person talks, nine other people nod their heads. Um, Democrats are much more, it's a much more sort of fractured coalition. Um, and so you have people who say like, well, Biden's not doing enough on the environment. He's not doing enough uh, to forgive student loans. You got this other chunk of the party that is pretty moderate, um, that it says like, well, I think Biden's governing too far to the left and I don't care about build back better or whatever's even in that. Um, you know, I care about, I care about COVID. I care about the economy. I care about, um, supply chain and they don't ever say supply chain, but they say things Mm -hmm. like. They say things like, look, I go out to dinner and and everything's slow and they don't have enough employees. I can't buy a car because, uh, you know, or I can't fix my washing machine because the parts won't come in. It's those kinds of disruptions. The biggest, the most alarming thing is I think there's a real asymmetric enthusiasm going into 2022 where Republicans want to vote for any living, breathing Republican. And Democrats are feeling, uh, you know, very... They're they're upset about things like covid like they don't they're not there's a bunch of them that just, you know, build back better uh, or all the Democratic infighting, even voting rights. Look, I care about voting rights, but that's not what a lot of these swing voters or even moderate Democrats vote care about. They care about, uh, yeah, making sure their kids are in school, trying to get covid under control, um, having clear information from the CDC. I mean, Jesus, the thing that, that I hear from the voters so much is just how confused they are. How they feel like there's not real leadership. How they feel like they don't hear anybody talking to them, explaining to them what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been, you know, I had a lot of optimism for Joe Biden. And I think one of the big, it's a little bit conventional wisdom now, but one of the big failures has really been a communications failure yeah. for them. Like people don't know what is in the COVID relief bill. They don't feel positively about it. They don't know what's in the. Uh, Build back better, and they certainly feel like on COVID, the two new variants, Delta and Omicron, no one really talked to them. They told them what was going on, and CDC is releasing confusing information, and that 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 redounds to a really kind of blah feeling.
1: Well, well, you wrote about that in the Bulwark this week on the well recently on the nineteenth of January, uh, 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 which I thought was a very strong piece, where you you basically said that democrats starting with joe biden have to take the offensive on on several fronts you know the offensive on covid the offensive on the economy the offensive on legislation the offensive going after uh after um republicans particularly the trumpers um what do you mean by that
0: yeah i mean look i i'm kind of being an evangelist right now for a Donald Trump is likely going to be the nominee in 2024. And and Democrats are about to head into what I think is going to be a a disastrous cycle for them if they don't start grabbing each other by the shoulders, shaking each other, saying, hey, this is going to be really bad. We got to do something. And, like, we have certain things within our control. Like, it is not in Joe Biden's control that Omicron, you know – happened uh it is in this administration's control how they talk about it how do they communicate with people inflation like go tell people are concerned about inflation go talk to them about it and then tell them but like unemployment's super low we're adding jobs at a great clip go tell people that donald trump was a miserable human being and president. But one thing that he did was he would go out, you know, he'd just rip off a bunch of executive orders. He didn't even pass legislation yet. And he'd go out and he'd be like, best economy for women, best economy for black people. We built the, we moved the embassy to Jerusalem. We are cutting red tape. And just be a bunch of like, nonsense, but they, and, and then Jim Jordan would say it. And, you know, and everybody was on the same page. Like you have to be relentless about your messaging. You can't just give a bunch of speeches at two o'clock in the afternoon and do like ribbon cuttings. You got to go on offense. You got to push. I mean, I guess I come from the Republican side and I just, the thing that I, I, I have a hard time with with Democrats is like, there's just not a knife in their teeth. You know, and I just I want to like shake people and say, do you know how bad things are? Like your job is to govern well as like a minimum baseline. And then you got to go on offense and push back on these guys. Um, And I, I guess I, I'm, I'm watching, you know, build back better and all the people trying to, like you try to pass all this massive legislation without the mandate to do it. You don't have the votes, like do what's possible. I, sometimes I think the worst thing that happened to Joe Biden was picking up that second Senate seat in Georgia because it it put all these uh, totally unrealistic expectations. Uh, in people's heads, for the kind of legislation they could pass, like people don't want something transformative at the moment. I and mean, this is what I hear in the focus groups: what they want is like they want their kids in school, they want <laughs> they want gas to not be catastrophically high. And and while Joe Biden can't control all of those things, they could do a lot better at focusing narrowly on the stuff that's that's hitting people right now and figuring out how to go on political offense so that, you know, the bad guy, the people who are doing really bad things uh, and, and lying to people don't just come right back into power.
1: Uh, And as you point out too, I mean, going after these Republicans who are telling these lies, right. Starting with Donald Trump and not letting them get away with it uh, or going, uh, going after them by name, you know, Jim Jordan and all the rest of them uh, in, in, Uh, And Ted Cruz and with what they're doing and what they're blocking and where they're taking the party. Uh, Yeah, but
0: I mean – or even just just start with the people whose last names start with G, like Green, Gates, Gomer (laughs) – uh, you know, Gosar. Gosar like right. Gosar's like goes to white supremacist. Like it's not you, yeah. you don't have to say yeah. all Republicans are white supremacists. That's not true. That's false. But Paul Gosar is a white supremacist, is a white nationalist. He goes to white nationalist conferences and nobody seems to be bothered by that. Kevin McCarthy seems to think that's a-okay seems like something you could go on the offense about.
1: <laughs> I love it. Go after those whose last name starts with G. Um, on a related issue. Um, it looks like Republicans and Democrats in the Senate believe it or not, there may be enough to come together and pass something they're calling the electoral count Act. How important is that do you think it's
0: super important look it, it, here's the thing that the voting rights stuff really went off the rails early. Because Democrats kind of came to the table with a bill that had been that they put together in a previous cycle, and it was an incredibly progressive bill, and that was never going to get ten Republican votes, Um, and and clearly couldn't even get uh, the votes of of people in their their own caucus. And so, you know, so that there was like this long period of time where everybody was focused on on those issues, saying suppression, suppression, suppression. And then Mansion kind of pared it down, uh, but ultimately, you know, you still couldn't get, they weren't going to be willing to break the filibuster over it. Um, and so now we've arrived probably too late at, like, what can we do about subversion? What is the compromise bill? Um, and, and this has been, people sometimes accuse me of being a little Pollyannish, but, like, Look, we may all be pretty mad about how Susan Collins has been handling herself. Uh, but the fact is, like, she's willing to work with Democrats on some of these things. And and so are people like Rob Portman. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you get 19 votes on on infrastructure, uh, that means that there's people willing to deal. And so all it, could ne- it was never going to be something around voting rights. You can't just have one party pass something. And so I supported the Manchin Compromise Bill. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. But from a political standpoint... You know, you've got to you've got to find things people can agree on. So the, uh, the 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 Electoral Count Act is like an ancient piece of uh, it basically says, like what the role of the vice president is. It, it lays out a bunch of things around elections uh, and, and it, but it's it's too opaque about who certifies. An election. There's a bunch of confusion right now around state legislatures versus governors. Can you send alternate slates of electors? And then what's the vice president's role? And so clarifying that is a it's a necessary but insufficient um, bulwark, to mm-hmm. coin a phrase, <laughs> against uh, subversion, which Trump is clearly trying to move a bunch of people into positions uh, that you know, would be willing to do what Brad Raffensperger wouldn't, uh, in 2020. So, um, so doing kind of an ECA plus, uh, which might have some elements of, you know, reasonable voter ID, but also makes, uh, has a bunch of things around access, making it easier for people to vote. Um, and I, I just, I really love the idea that these, that the Republicans and Democrats are coming together because there is a ton of bad information around voting. You know, sometimes I even have Democrats being like, well, why don't people, you know, we need people to trust the elections. And I'm like, good, well, then stop telling them Everybody is suppressed, and like, then I mean, like, they everybody is telling people that something's wrong with our election system. Our election system did great last time, it is a marvel of democracy. Uh, it was wonderful. We did it during a pandemic and figured it out, and well, uh,
1: more people voted than ever before in history.
0: It's great. What? so? I don't understand why everybody keeps telling people it's so bad. We should say that was really good. Hey, but we did some things uh, that were kind of, we, we made some COVID things that were changed. And like, it's okay to roll some of that back. It's okay to say, hey, instead of 30 days of early voting, we're going to have 15. That is not suppression. That's just us kind of deciding, um, you know, what our window is going to be for early voting. Um, so I just, I think everybody there, I mean, there's just so many good compromises. Like, you could literally pass... If you passed automatic voter registration, which said that everybody, once they turned 18, uh, was automatically registered to vote if they're an American citizen, and then they mail everybody uh, an ID card, but it's on file anyway. Like, even if we just updated our election infrastructure, so like, Windows 95-level infrastructure uh, around voting, like, that would solve a ton of these problems that everybody seems to want to keep fighting over. But anyway, I'm I'm very... Uh, encouraged to see this bipartisan group. I saw Murkowski and uh Mansion on TV together this weekend, uh talking about how they were working through it. And it sounded way more productive than everyone just screaming at each other.
1: Right. Uh so finally we are uh February, early February in 2022. This is the uh this is the big year. These are the midterms. Um, I hear you saying uh and just wrap with this that uh it's Going to be an uphill battle for Democrats, but it's not hopeless for Democrats in 2022. Is that correct?
0: Look, I don't think it's hopeless, and here's the reason why. I think that what were I think a lot of the problems, the reason that people have this blah feeling, um, a lot of the asymmetric enthusiasm is conditional, right? It's because it's because covid is still around like covid is the thing uh and and everything else is kind of uh, you know the attendant economic consequences of covid though it's the inflation the supply chain um it's the labor shortages and so if covid this is why if joe biden and the democrats would really go on offense right now and they'd say like look guys we got to return to normal we got to make sure kids are in school we got to have a plan for when people can stop wearing masks if they could instead of chasing the puck if they could just get in front of it Uh, then as things, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, knocking on the table, um, they start to get better in the spring. And, you know, a lot of people got Omicron. And so, uh, you know, if if deaths are on a three-week lag and you see those come down, you see cases really drop, you get the masks off in school, there's no more disruptions, we figure out a way to have, you know, we stop having to have all these culture war battles over all of it, and life feels a little more normal um you know inflation comes down uh we're adding all these jobs people get back to work like if by this summer things do feel relatively normal i think that puts democrats in a much much better position to say see we fixed it uh i mean the reason that everybody feels so miserable right now is cuz they don't feel like anything's fixed and things are they're so sick of living in this environment um and so that that i think is i, I think it, a lot of it is the conditions and if democrats are can position themselves to take advantage of those conditions. Now, they could screw that all up by trying to say, like, nope, masks forever, Uh, or or look, there was this picture that circulated over the weekend of Stacey Abrams sitting maskless with a bunch of masked kids in a classroom, and that kind of thing is going to crush Democrats because it looks like people are putting our children through this, you know, this annoyance and this, you know, they can't read facial cues and all this stuff. Uh, and I'm like, I'm a big pro masker here, but like you cannot. And, and, but it's, it, but we do need a plan for how we're going to get past it. We do have to have a vision of life back to normal and we have to be working our way there. And politicians getting to live one way while kids live. Another is a bad, bad message to send.
1: So Sarah Longwell, if you're not on the, um, uh, on the bill press pod, how can people follow you or, uh, and and stay in touch with you and, Um, you know keep up with all the good work you're doing what's the best way
0: uh you know i'm on twitter uh too much more than i should be uh (laughs) sarah longwell 25 uh but i run defending democracy together and the republican accountability project and follow the bulwark uh you know if you look around for the never trumpers you'll probably find me
1: Uh, you're not hard to find at all okay sarah thank you so much for your time today thanks for joining us and thanks for all the good work you're doing on behalf of all of us thank you bill And that's it for today's podcast with Sarah Longwell, a very, very outspoken for sure and very effective political strategist. Good work that she is doing. Thanks to Sarah Longwell. Thanks to all of you for listening. And here we are, another busy week in our nation's capital, and we'll see how things play out. COVID cases, will they continue to go down? Getting rid of that mask mandate, perhaps? The Electoral Count Act, will Republicans and Democrats get together on it? And how close will we be to war with Ukraine by the end of the week? We'll talk about it all with our three, three of top Washington's political reporters on our Bill Press Pod roundtable on Friday. Don't miss that. Meanwhile, take care of yourselves. Be good. Be strong. And come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.